is going on, everyone? I am super hyped to be back. Um, this is the third reboot of Griffey's Naptime podcast. Um, so if you don't already know, because um, we haven't, I haven't done this podcast for um, two or three years, the main, I guess, thing that we cover, or I cover, I keep saying we because I'm used to... <laughs> having a co-host and for now I do not have one uh but I like talking about the Mariners and um I'll talk about baseball as a whole I'll talk about some fantasy baseball because um that's sort of the context of which I do my writing uh we're gonna focus on the Mariners and um today we're gonna be talking about um basically focusing on the the starting pitchers and the the lineup because um I wrote a few Mariners profiles for their starters and their hitters over at PitcherList, um, and it just kind of makes the most sense. So, uh, quick background stuff. If you were a listener before, you will know that my co-host was my friend Dustin Ryan. He is busy nowadays and has better things to do, and so I will begrudgingly move forward without him, but I wish he would um, <clears throat> come back because he's much better at the hosting stuff than I am. Um, so yeah, before we get started, I, I want to talk about the rationale behind the podcast name because Griffey's Naptime Podcast is an incredibly strange name. Um, and so you probably know that Griffey was one of the greatest baseball players of, uh, the nineties and arguably of all time, but, um, he played for the Mariners from 1989 to 1999 and he accumulated, um, 68.5 war during that time span which if you round it up is 69 and really nice um during that time span he was short of only barry bonds who put up uh 88 and a half war which is exactly 20 more than him in that time span and only 60 more games uh which is like oh man he's a lot worse than bonds but one bonds is uh, perhaps the greatest baseball player of all time and he also took steroids which um griffey uh, we don't know that to be true in any case uh that's not the point griffey returned to the mariners in 2009 it was kind of a nice homecoming and uh he did fine he hit about league average with the 99 weighted runs created plus which means um one percent below league average in 117 games and he hit 19 home runs uh he ended with a 0.1 war which is not good it's the definition of replacement level and so you'd think like this is a pretty good time to retire especially considering he almost didn't come to the mariners he almost signed with the braves allegedly <coughs> excuse me um, but Griffey had other plans. He decided to come back in 2010, um, and he was playing so poorly that uh, the Mariners' then manager, Don Wakamatsu, was setting him, like, a lot. Um, and so, apparently, <laughs> Griffey didn't think it was really worth his time <laughs> to spend time in the dugout because... Uh, once during a pinch hitting situation in May of 2010, Griffey wasn't available. He had told, uh, another player that he was going to get his coat, um, and a player went to go check on him, and he was literally taking a nap in the clubhouse. A media circuit, media circus, um, then of course ensued, and, um, <laughs> two players confirmed to the media that he had fallen asleep. Wakamatsu denied it, and Griffey himself didn't deny it, so there's a lot of weird stuff going on, but um, a players-only meeting was called in which Mike Sweeney challenged anyone who snitched to the media to stand up and fight him. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, so if, if you're unfamiliar, if you hadn't heard, because um, no one really talks about it now nowadays, but it's referred to as Napgate, and it has an entire section devoted to it on Griffey's Wikipedia. Thus, our podcast name was born. So, um, yeah, Griffey then left during a series with the Twins that year without telling anyone. Uh, he took a cross, cr uh, 
country road trip all the way to Florida, which I don't know why he didn't just fly, and then released a statement saying that he was retiring to avoid being a distraction to the team. So <clears throat> that's the background behind our name, which I think is pretty hilarious and uh, maybe a little bit niche of a reference, but uh, fun nonetheless. So um, with that, I've had the pleasure of doing some profiles for the Mariners um, for pitcherless, and um, I didn't do the relief pitching, so I won't talk about that, and that's not particularly interesting anyways, and I don't want to spend too much time rambling, especially because it's just me. So um, yeah, we'll start with the hitting profiles because... Uh, they're projected to be considerably less disastrous than the Mariners' pitching is. Um, in both of them, you can find my uh, 21, 2020... Um, uh, Todd Zola just came up with um, a really fun term, projestimating um, uh, projections and estimating. So you can find my 2020 projestimates um, within them. So we'll start with uh, the leadoff hitter, which is Malik Smith. Um, Malik's had uh, quite an underwhelming year in in 2020. He he had a breakout year in 2018 where he hit 18% bo- uh, above uh, league average. He stole 40 uh, bases and uh, he put up a 3.5 WAR, which is pretty good, um, especially coming out of center field. <clears throat> Um, he followed that up with uh, a 74 weighted runs created plus, which is 26% uh, below league average and quite bad. Uh, 46 stolen bases and a zero war. So there are a lot of people that are kind of doubting him at this point, but I still really believe in his skill set. Um, I am perhaps susceptible to buying into anecdotes, but... Um, he missed, uh, most of spring training with a strained right elbow. And so while, um, the Mariners were playing in Tokyo, Malik's was still preparing in Arizona to get ready for the season. It's kind of hard to analyze his year because he actually had a better second or first half than second half. And, um, you would think, you know, with, uh, losing a spring training that, he would basically treat the first couple months of spring training, but nonetheless, he just had a poor year. Uh, he had a couple months where he flashed, you know, being decent, but um, <clears throat> overall had a really underwhelming year. So the reason why I'm, uh, especially in real life terms, uh, so optimistic about him is that he doesn't need to be that much better to have good results. Um so batting average uh, on balls in play is essentially just batting average except taking home runs out of the equation. Um, and the reason for that is basically um, uh, mostly for pitchers, um, they don't have – like home runs aren't a batted ball that's under their control. And um, for hitters, it's kind of saying, okay um, – the league average for BAPIP is about 300. Um, given that you're uh, putting a bunch of balls into play, um, <clears throat> if you're hitting it really hard or if you're really fast, it might be higher than 300. And if you hit a lot of home runs or you're really slow or unlucky, um, it'll be below 300. So generally, it, it falls within 300. And um, players like Malik's are going to outperform their BAPIPs or their expected BAPIPs and run really high BAPIPs. So in 2018, Malik's had a 338 expected BAPIP and a 368 BAPIP, uh, which you can kind of believe in because that's only a 30 point, um, uh, I guess, overperformance. Um, and that means that uh, he overperformed his batting average and uh, on balls in play, but that has to do with his speed. And so in 2019, his expected BABIP was 41 points um, lower than in 2018. And so I just think he needs to get back to hitting the ball uh, just a tad better. Um, 
he ranks in the 97th percentile in sprint speed and the 96th percentile in stat casts outs above average. So he's plus plus if you um, look at him at, as, um, you know, a fielder and a base runner. Uh, and that's two thirds of his game. So I just think he needs to be good enough with his bat. And if we split the difference between uh, 2018 and 19, he had a 96 weighted runs graded plus, which is only four points below average. And with his speed and with his uh, fielding, I think that's good enough. I think that's perfectly fine. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm optimistic about uh, Malik's going into th- 2020, but obviously um, a little cautious because he burned us in 2019. Batting second in the order is uh, Shed Long, who will be playing second base. Um, roster resource on Fangraphs right now has him um, <clears throat> starting there, and that means he's going to be stealing playing time from D. Gordon. So between the two of them, they can play enough positions that I think they'll probably both be on the field a lot. Um, Shed can play left field <laughs> not very well. And he can play second base, but also not very well. Um, D, as we saw, was kind of a disaster in center field, but he can play second base, uh, shortstop, and center field. So I think they can uh, do enough, you know, mix and matching and Frankensteining to um, get all of their young guys a lot of playing time. Um, over his career, it seems like long projects to be a pretty league average player he's um both in terms of scouting and and just how he's performed he's relatively average in all categories um considering his his minor league and major league track record um he's a little above average in speed but like not enough to where he's gonna steal a bunch of bases he actually had a pretty decent 2019 but he was one of the biggest overperformers um, in the league in, uh, in WOBA, weighted on base average. So he had a 333 WOBA and 271 X WOBA. Um, and so basically that means he hit 60 points. His, his WOBA was 60 points above what uh, it should have been when you um, consider his um, exit velocity and launch angle on different batted balls. So at 48%, he's hitting far too many ground balls right now, but he didn't play like a ton um, in 2019. And his 6.3 barrel rate is not disastrous, but it's definitely underwhelming. Um, So yeah, we saw a small sample out of him in 2019, but um, I'm excited to see how he progresses going forward, especially with regular playing time. Um, So... In general, I think he ends up being kind of a second division starter at second base. I think um, Shelly, uh, I do not know how to pronounce her last name, but Shelly, uh, one of my colleagues at PitcherList, has kind of expressed the same sentiment. Um, and that's perfectly fine. Um, uh, you know, we don't need, uh, it would be nice, but we don't need elite players at every single position so uh he'll fill a hole and i think um if his glove is good enough uh, he should hit well enough to uh be a strong or decent second baseman batting third is kyle seager um seager had something of a resurgence in 2019 and i think he's one of the more interesting cases of hitters in terms of the mariners but just across baseball um in 2019 he had been kind of declining for a couple years but um he was hurt in 2018 and played through uh an avulsion in his toe which you know is bad because i none of us know what an avulsion is but basically um if i remember correctly his his toe i think the tendon separated off the bone so it was like a pretty serious injury and scott service kind of downplayed it but uh, he, he called it like a, a minor injury that, you know, he wouldn't miss any games with. And if I remember, he either didn't miss any games or he played or he, or he maybe missed one or two, but he, he came back 
immediately with a broken toe, basically. Um, and so obviously his 2018 was pretty underwhelming. Part of that is just regression because he's getting worse and he's being shifted more. But part of that was he had uh, a really hurt toe. So he he worked really hard in the offseason. He shed more than 20 pounds by uh, changing his diet and workout approach. And he adjusted his preparation. And um, I think just kind of stopped messing with his swing so much because he's really known for being kind of a tinkerer. Uh, and this is kind of one of those anecdotes where you hear it probably, honestly, a hundred plus times in off season, uh, where you hear like, oh, this, hey, he's, he's in the best shape of his life. Um, but I think this was a case where that was going to be helpful. Um, he, he saw an increase in, um, sprint speed, which, uh, it was really nice to see because he can, you know, leg out a couple uh, more doubles than he could in the past. But um, and he just kind of seemed a little more mobile um, in the field. Uh, but also he just looked a lot better at the plate. Um, this was all foiled by a pesky preseason injury where he awkwardly rolled over his glove in a spring training game. Uh, so again, he had surgery to repair his torn tens tendons in his knuckles, which um, was kind of the point of his offseason stuff was to stay healthier because he'd been getting kind of dinged up. But this was obviously just a really bad luck injury. Um, and so he struggled for a while um, for probably a, a couple months, but he started going absolutely bananas in uh, August where he slashed. Uh, 323 average, 417 OBP, and a 699 slugging percentage, which is good for uh, an OPS uh, north of 1,000 and uh, 192 WRC plus, which means he was almost a hundred percent better than league average in August, which of course is bananas. Um, he cooled down over the next couple months, but still finished with. Um, a second half uh, of a 129 WRC plus, which again means that he was about 30% above uh, league average in the second half, which is pretty strong. And I actually wrote two articles on him throughout the year. One was in the beginning of the year in the preseason uh, before he got hurt. And I was kind of saying, Hey, uh, Kyle, you're definitely reading this because you read pitcher lists content uh just lean into what's happening a a lot of the in terms of the shift a lot of it is psychological because it's really overwhelming as you can imagine when you're a hitter and half of the team (laughs) shifts to uh the other side of the field and leaves an uh you know an open spot on the other side of the field so either for a lot of hitters a they try too hard to go the other way or B they're just psychologically um, affected because it's really overwhelming to think that, Hey, I'm, you know, I pull the ball a lot and I'm just going to pull the ball into this crowd of people. Um, As the math works out, the shift doesn't do that much as it pertains to taking away base hits What it does do, as I said, is get into kind of the psyche of hitters. And so it's much, much easier said than done. But if I was a hitter and I could control what they did and they could do what I thought they should do, I would say, hey, uh, lean into it. Just the reason why uh, teams are shifting you is because you hit the ball really hard to your pull side. You can't do that to your, to your, uh, not pull side, to your, uh, you know, going oppo. So just continue to do it. You might lose out on a few base hits, but uh, you're also going to keep doing your thing. So that was basically what I wrote in maybe um, February or March. Of course, he ended up getting hurt. And then I think in August or probably September, I wrote that he was going apeshit. He uh, 
uh, as I said, you know, was going bananas. He cooled down a little bit. Um, and so a lot of people were kind of speculating, and, and I was one of these people. Uh, maybe the juice ball helped him, which is a reasonable thing to think because there are a certain certain groups, I should say, of players that um, benefit from the juice ball because, um, <clears throat> let's say, either hitters that hit to their pull side and don't hit it very hard or hitters that just go oppo a lot these are two groups of players that are likely to benefit from the ball because uh, what would have been flyouts to the warning track either turn into wall scrapers or they clear the fence easily. Um, and so I thought and still kind of do think that Seeger is one of these players. Uh, but from August on, um, we found that uh, Seeger had a Woba of 377. And the next Woba of 362, which is like, okay, 15 points. That's not that ridiculous. Um, a lot of that, honestly, is probably just because he plays in Safeco Field, which is somewhat hitter-friendly uh, for pull-heavy lefties, which Seeger is. Um, but if we use Alex Chamberlain's beta tableau, which accounts for directionality, um, which I should point out with Satcast's version of Xwoba, uh, they don't take directionality into account, which um, some people think of as a flaw, but I think of more so as a limitation, and um, it's actually a um, kind of mindful uh, thing on their end. They, they know that it uh, is limited, but it does the job really well. But for players like Seeger and uh, another few players that I'll get to, uh, it might miss out on some things because it is important sometimes to take directionality into account. And what I mean by that is Xwoba takes into account launch angle, which is, you know, are you hitting it into the ground or are you hitting it uh, straight above you? And it also takes into account exit velo. So how hard are you hitting the ball? But the other thing is basically the horizontal version of, of um, launch angle, so spray angle. And if you take that into account with Alex Chamberlain's beta tableau, he actually had a 411 uh, weighted on base average on contact and a 417 expected uh, weighted on base average on contact. It's a lengthy metric, um, which means he didn't really underperform. And so... Um, uh, you know, we should be kind of hesitant when it comes to Seeger, but for now, I think the second half changes are pretty legit, and I think if he's healthy, I'm not necessarily all in on him, but he's been one of the more underrated Mariners and really just players and third basemen since he was a starter in the Mariners lineup. So, if the juice ball remains somewhat in the form that it was during... Uh, the 2019 regular season or even postseason, I expect him to have a pretty good year, um, especially because Safeco, as I said, is not bad for um, lefties. And even if he is overperforming, like if we think about his actual versus expected statistics, uh, who cares if he is? Because that just means he's performing. And if it's something that's sustainable, then <laughs> I'll take that. Um, and so next is Tom Murphy, who is <laughs> the Mariners' starting catcher in 2020. Um, he'll be batting cleanup. And he had what we can kind of call a breakout 2019 campaign, which in which he uh, he swatted 18 dingers in just 20 or 76 games. Um, he was one of the more kind of like um, shed along one of the bigger um, overperformers and weighted on base average on contact minus expected weighted on base average on contact with um, a 489 actual weighted on base average on contact and a 424 expected. So there's that. There's some ugly peripherals that kind of make it hard to be a believer. Um, he had a 31% K rate, which is 
you know, if you're Joey Gallo or Miguel Sano, that's manageable, but he's not. <laughs> um, and there's reason to think that he kind of overperformed too. Um, although I should say that uh, even when we account for his actual stats regressing to his expected stats, his numbers are still pretty good. And um, again, with Chamberlain's tableau, uh, he has a metric called expected K percentage, which he takes a bunch of point discipline factors into, but he has it regressing from 31 percent to 27.1%. So, um yeah, it might I don't know. Um it's it seems like year to year um his expected K percentage Chamberlain's that is. Um it I actually don't know if it was year to year, but it does pretty well in in uh predicting or rather describing actual K percentage. So, um <clears throat> unless there's something funky going on in terms of um like murphy just being awful in uh two strike counts or something uh we should expect it to regress a little bit and that makes sense because he didn't play full season um his barrel rate which is um balls hit within a certain launch angle range um at 98 miles per hour or more um, he ranks in the 79th percentile in barrels per plate appearance. So um, that's pretty encouraging because barrel rate is really sticky year to year, which means um, players who have a barrel rate, a good barrel rate in 2018, will have a good one in 2019 and then probably 2020. Um, so it predicts power really well, too. Um, it, it, in terms of correlations, um, it's probably the best metric at, uh, describing and predicting power. Um, so for now, um, the Mariners were obviously trusting in him enough to trade Omar Nervaez, who was a good hitter, not a very good catcher. Um, I'm going to trust him enough. Um, he is a good catch framer, good defensive, uh, catcher. And perhaps this has to do with confidence in him. Perhaps it has to do with the fact that Cal Raleigh is actually somewhat close in proximity to the major leagues. Uh, but regardless, we're going to be bad this year. So it makes sense to give him a shot because there was a time as a prospect and as a young major leaguer that we thought Term Murphy was going to be good. Um, also, he pitched in a game, which is bananas. Uh, and I wrote about it. So if you want to read about that, you can go to Pitcher List and type in something like, I don't even know. Uh, it's a Tom Murphy article, though, and I wrote it. Um, it was pretty insane because he didn't start in the game as a catcher. He started in left field and then started pitching. So um, this feels really <laughs> this feels really weird to say, but I highly recommend reading it because there are a lot of fun videos because he actually looked kind of good as a pitcher, like relatively speaking. Um, batting fifth is designated hitter Daniel Vogelback. So I actually wrote about Vogie too, and you can probably see a theme here that I wrote about a lot of Mariners. But uh, it was kind of the it was a tale of two tapes. Um, he had a first half that was really good. Um, he hit. 36% above league average. Uh, and then in the second half, he hit 29% below league average. So uh, basically it was super dope in the first half and then super bad in the second half. That ended up averaging out to be pretty decent as I think he hit about 18% um, above league average on the year. So I'm skeptical about Vogie. Um He's an awful fielder. He's an awful base runner, and that means he has to hit. Um, he's already getting pushed out of first base because of Evan White and probably would have been pushed out anyways. Um, so, yeah, he has to hit, and he probably will, but I'm not sure that he'll do it well enough to play over someone like, say, former Mariner Domingo Santana. Um, I would rather have someone who's a better hitter 
<laughs> so there are concerning things. There are uh, things such as he can't hit breaking stuff and he can't hit off-speed stuff, which make up a lot of pitches. Um, and also pitchers adjusted to him by throwing more breaking stuff uh, progressively every month. So yeah, he doesn't really hit the ball especially hard given his size, and it's concerning that he can only hit fastballs. Um, the positive, or positives, is that he can hit the crap out of fastballs, uh, and he has really good p- plate discipline. So um, of qualified hitters, he had the lowest swing percentage in the league last year with a 34.1%, which is pretty crazy. That's uh, right below... Uh, Alex Bregman and Mike Trout. Uh, that's a good thing. I would rather have someone who's pretty passive rather than aggressive or like overly aggressive. But he could also stand to be more aggressive on pitches in the zone since he's he takes a lot of strikes. Um, and in OO counts, I think a good change for him if he's not going to be super aggressive is. Just be aggressive in O counts. Uh, it's going at least more so. It's going to lead to less walks, but um, of any count, OO is the count where you're going to get a fastball, and it's going to be over the plate. Batting sixth is um, left fielder Kyle Lewis, and he had an abbreviated stint, but he killed it. Um he played in 18 games and just 75 plate appearances, but he hit 27% above league average with six home runs. Uh, so that means a home run every three games. That's really good. The bad is that he had a near 40% K percentage and a 293 OBP. Um, obviously, the sample size is really small um, with that. <clears throat> But there's also a couple other things that we can kind of play with that are kind of fun, too. Um, First, I I think he's definitely going to hit for power. Um, Of players with 10 batted ball events or more, which is ridiculous to even (laughs) take this into consideration, but you'll see where I'm going with this. Uh, He leads the entire league in barrels for plate appearances at 13.3%. Obviously, that's going to regress, um, but it shows that he can hit for a lot of power, which some might say, duh, Kyle Lewis is definitely going to hit for power, but I would argue that was not a foregone conclusion even uh, in a year or two ago because he struggled in the minor leagues. Um, I think more importantly, with young players with small sample sizes, which he has, um he displayed a pretty good uh, max exit velo at 108 miles per hour, which is important because we often can't take into consideration a lot of metrics um, with such small samples, but uh, you can't really fake the maximum stats. So um, for hitters, that's max exit velo. You can't fake hitting the ball as hard as you possibly can. For pitchers, that's max pitch velo. You can kind of fake it in the bullpen, but as like a starter, or if you are a reliever, you can't fake your velocity. And so they're not great metrics, they're not perfect metrics, but when you know we have a really limited sample size, um, I think seeing numbers like this is really important. So I expect um, Kyle Lewis to be a good power hitter. I was just... Um, talking to someone on Twitter today, and they were wondering about Evan White and Kyle Lewis, and um, I kind of said I think he'll end up being something resembling a 250 average, 310 OBP, 530 slugging percentage hitter, which, you know, is... uh, it's kind of soon to think about that, but I just think he's going to be someone with kind of a lowish average who doesn't walk a ton and strikes out a lot and hits for a lot of power. Um, with decent defense, I, I think that's a pretty good player, so uh, we'll be watching him in 2019. Or, <laughs> no, we won't. We already watched him. We will be watching him in 2020. 
Um, and so batting seventh is shortstop J.P. Crawford. Um, stop if you've heard this before, but I wrote about him too. Um, both Lookout Landing and I uh, both wrote articles about the swing changes or swing change that he made um, in 2019. So he, especially in 2018, he had a ton of movement in his hands. Um, and I know I'm not a scout and you're not a scout, but basically as a hitter, it makes sense that once you're, you've already loaded into your, (laughs) your load, um, and you're ready to hit the ball, you want your hands to be steady and then to just fire to the ball. In 2018 with the Phillies, uh, Crawford was basically moving as the pitch was coming. He was moving his hands back and then down, and then forward to the ball, which is a lot of movement. And it's a change that JP, uh, not JP, uh, Gene Segura made, which is why the episode, or I'm just killing it right now, why the article is entitled um, Going Deep, JP Crawford Made the Gene Segura Change. Um, and so he worked over the offseason with it, and... Essentially, he went into 2019 with a more open stance, and um, he was holding his bat more upright, um, kind of in the same vein as Segura, where um, essentially it's perpendicular to the ground. It's almost completely um, like a 90% angle, if you think about it, in terms of um, its relation to the ground. So um, this helped him, the open stance helped him to see the ball better, and his bat being up more upright meant that there was less, there's less movement. So he was holding his hands much steadier, uh, and it helped him fire straight to the ball rather than moving his hands a ton. Um, <clears throat> so he, he balled out. The reason why I wrote the article is that he made a change, and then he balled out for a while. But he ended up regressing, or reverting, and... There are also a couple things that aren't great about him. Um, his exit velo is super low, which is pretty concerning because he just he doesn't really impact the ball. When when he hits it, it's you know he hits some doubles, he hits a couple home runs, but he doesn't hit it especially hard, um, which is probably the most important trait of a hitter. Um, he did flash one of the best defensive plays of the 2010s, probably though. Uh, and he has some speed too. So I think he's going to end up being someone who is a plus fielder, who gets on base a lot, steals some base, yeah, steals some bases, uh, and hits for a little bit of power, maybe like 10 home runs, which you could do worse than. Um, so yeah, people are pretty down on JP, um, Crawford, especially because he's had, I think, three kind of mediocre hitting years in a row but um i think there's he can move forward um next is another um prospect in evan white who will be batting eighth according to ross resource and playing first base um the mariners made a pretty historic signing or unprecedented signing with him um as they locked him up to a multi-year deal before he'd even made it to triple a um, I guess that kind of comes with the caveat that he played four games in AAA, but that was more so um, as a, I think they really needed uh, a body in AAA, and he was doing so well that they were like, hey, go play a series in AAA, and then you'll, you can come back uh, to AA and keep balling. Um, he made an in-season adjustment, and Uh, to his mechanics that is and he started absolutely crushing the ball um and so he's gotten a lot of comps um one of them is cody bellinger because um i think really because of their fielding and i i honestly don't really know because i don't really see anything there um but i think the most accurate comp is probably something like paul goldschmidt which obviously is, that's one of his best possible outcomes. Like that's, uh, if we look at his, um, you know, if we looked at like a graph of what is possible, it's not incredibly likely, but uh, it's possible. 
Um, and so he's he's got a lot of weird stuff going on. He's one of the only players that I know of who bats righty and throws lefty, which is incredibly odd. Um, and he also grades out plus plus as a fielder at first base, which is like, oh, cool. But then he also is potentially plus in the corner outfield. And uh, when he got drafted, there were a, a lot of people who thought that he would play in center field. So while I think his speed will decline and thus his fielding ability will decline as his body thickens, um, I think the corner outfield is somewhere where he could play, but it sounds like the Mariners um, are going to put him at first, especially with prospects like, uh, man, Jake Fraley, Kyle Lewis, um, Jared Kelnick, and Julio Rodriguez, among others. So, Seamer and ATC, uh, a couple of projection systems have him hitting about league average this year with uh, 15 to 20 dingers, and I think that's attainable. Um, so I'm really excited to see him this year, and I think of any of um, the kind of prospects that we have, I think he's kind of the most clear-cut in terms of just floor, I think. He's going to field, he's probably going to hit, and he can run a little too. So um, it looks a lot better there. Um, batting ninth is Jake Fraley, who was one of the pieces acquired in the Zinino Malik Smith trade. Uh, and I kind of like him more than Kyle Lewis. Um, he made a swing change in 2018, which led to a, a breakout. And he went absolutely bananas. He he backed it up in 2018, um, or 2019 rather, at Double A with the Mariners, uh, with uh, 156 WRC plus, and then he was also successful in Triple A with a 276, 333, 553 line, um, which is really good. But it also only translates to a 104. Uh, WRC plus because the AAA ball is juiced and so the numbers are inflated there, um, which is why WRC plus is such an important stat. Um, his 12 game cup of coffee was pretty underwhelming. I put almost literally zero stock into that. Um, I guess we could in kind of in the same same way as. Kyle Lewis, we could look at his, you know, his exit velo numbers and everything, but um, it's an even smaller sample, and, um, you know, he was hurt at the end of it. So, uh, yeah, it might be a little hypocritical to say, but he didn't flash anything that was really noteworthy at the time, so it's hard to um, even look too hard into it. Um, I think he's going to have the chance to play a ton this year, especially if he hits. Um, uh, he should play more as the season goes. And along with LeJay Newsom, I think he's one of our more underrated prospects. Um, he's ready to play now, and um, I think he's going to get the chance to do so. So now uh, we'll quickly kind of transition to starting pitching, which uh, is a much sketchier group and one of the worst starting pitching groups in the league, according to the projection systems. But uh, there's some upside here. Um, first, <laughs> our ace or de facto ace, Marco Gonzalez, uh, he just received a deal that is going to buy out all of his arbitration years. Uh, and then a few free agent years. So similar to that of Evan White, um, I think it's kind of taking advantage of him, but uh, to a lesser extent. Like Evan White, he wanted the deal, and it gives him financial security, so that's great. Uh, but it also kind of takes away his ability to have upside in terms of earning uh, more money because his first few free agent years are gone. Um and he's already had Tommy John surgery, and uh, so I don't really blame him for taking it. Um, I don't blame anyone for making $30 million, but um, he might have had the chance to make more considering even number five starters in rotations um, will generally make like $15, $16 million a year. So 
the Mariners got Marco at basically half the rate that uh, they should have. Um, so I don't know. I guess it's good for both sides. Um, my former colleague, Michael Augustine, just wrote a pretty interesting piece on him at Fangraphs. He does a lot of uh, looking at pitch design. And essentially, he talked about how Marco throws three different variants of a fastball. So he throws a four-seam, he throws a sinker, and he throws a cutter. A uh, four-seamer, in, in terms of movement, a cutter will move to um, his glove side, while his four-seamer and sinker will move to his arm side. So it's kind of superfluous to throw both his four-seamer and his sinker. Um, I don't need to get a ton into talking into pitch design and spin access because um, I'm sure you're not super familiar with it because it's not easy. But essentially, um, and you can go read these thoughts, but um, his four-seamer would do a lot better with his pitches than his sinker uh, because of the way that his spin axis is on all of his pitches and just the way that they all break. So basically, um, with his like fastball and curve, they have a 180 spin axis differential between them, which basically means uh, his fastball goes up and his curveball um, repels directly the movement that his uh, fastball uh, makes. So he was actually my first pitcherless article. Um, which is really cool, and I have a special place in my heart for Marco. He definitely needs his first half 2018 velo back uh, if he wants to be a strikeout pitcher of any sort. Um, otherwise, I think like his absolute best-case scenario is something like Zach Greinke, which is really good, um, but I'm not sure he can do that when he's even when he's throwing like 89. Um I'm pretty skeptical that it does because it's been declining for about two years now. Um, but just in general, if he switches to his four-seamer and he gets a velo bump, I'm pretty optimistic about him. Um, next is Yusei Kikuchi, who I was excited about coming into this year, uh, but he had about as miserable of a year as we could have imagined. He's almost... Um, I guess this is... <laughs> Uh, almost 100% conjecture on my end, but I'm optimistic about a few things. Um, first, he got squeezed really badly in 2019. So what that means is um, of the balls in the strike zone that were taken, he had one of the lowest percentages of strikes in the MLB. I'm not sure what that, what you know, like why that was. One reason was probably he had a really bad pitch framer in Omar Navarez. Another reason is perhaps because he was getting the rookie treatment, or maybe his pitches just make it harder to call accurate strikes. I don't know, but um, especially with Tom Murphy behind the plate and Austin Nola, who's the backup. Um, is said to be a good pitch framer, I think this should improve just because of that. Um, second, dating back to his days in Japan, he's been interested in pitch design, which is good because his pitches <laughs> weren't good in 2019. Um, there's a really cool video you can find on YouTube of him talking to Trevor Bauer about basically how he throws his pitches and pitch design and everything. And Bauer said, basically, uh, <laughs> tell your people to get with my people, have them give, have them give you my number, and we'll link up in the off season. Um, and so, I'd like to see him go in and and work on his breaking pitches because I think they could be better, especially his curveball, which is really it's a soft, like loopy curve, and more of a it's more of a get me over curve. Um, than a true like swing and miss curveball. Um, and he also knows that he needs to develop his changeup. So, you know, there, there, it was really bad in 2019, but um, I'm pretty optimistic about him, especially because uh, during one of his last games of 2019, I believe against the Blue Jays, he elevated his fastball a ton. And, 
you would think that's not good because he has a low spin, low velo fastball, but he got a ton of whiffs, and I think that's because of because he has such like a or a, a loopy curveball, and it just set up his other pitches better. So, um, if he gets back to doing that, if he does even one of these things, he should be better in 2020. Um, we shouldn't necessarily count on it, but he was so bad that he kind of can't not get better. Um, next is Justice Sheffield, who was acquired in the James Paxson trade. Um, of the Mariners' top-tier pitching prospects, he's probably my least favorite, which is weird because depending on the prospect list that you look like or that you look at, uh, he grades out as the best or he's the most highly regarded. Um, a lot of that prospect shine got took away this year because he started in AAA and did quite awful. And then they demoted him to AA to work on mechanical stuff uh, before calling him up and um, eventually giving him a couple major league games. But he didn't look great. Um, and the reason why I'm not a huge fan of him is that he I think he lacks upside. Um, his fastball has really, really bad spin efficiency or active spin. Which basically, active spin is the... It basically accounts for how much of your spin rate accounts for... <laughs> I just said accounts for twice. How much of your spin rate um, basically leads to movement. And Justice Sheffield has a really, really, really low uh, active spin rate. Which means that instead of a quote-unquote rising four-seamer that gives perceived rise and is hard for pitchers to hit, <laughs> hitters to hit, uh, he has a sinking four-seamer, uh, which means it sinks, obviously. Um, so for all intents and purposes, it's a bowling ball sinker. It's um, it's just a sinker. Um, and baseball is moving away from the sinker for a reason, because it's bad. So along with his meh fastball he has a plus to plus plus slider that looked really good um and he has a fringe changeup that's been developing somewhat um uh nick pollock um the creator of pitcher list uh interviewed him before the 2019 season and he talked about how he really liked how his changeup was coming along um i don't love it as much but it's much better than it's been in the past so um, I'll be looking to see if that develops any further. Um, he paired he pairs poor fastball, uh, a poor fastball with command issues, and so um, I think there's a decent chance that he ends up in the bullpen. Um, but he could be amazing there. Um, so we'll see. There are a lot of different ways in which this could go. Um, and we hope that he turns into a middle to top of the rotation guy. Um, but there's a decent chance that the walk issues are just so bad that he moves to the bullpen. Kendall Graveman is kind of interesting. He missed uh, 2019 with Tommy John, but he's back, obviously. Um, there was a time a few years ago when he was pretty interesting because... Um, Jeff Sullivan wrote about how his sinker velocity spiked not once, but twice. Uh, and so he, you know, just in terms of his fastball, he started looking like Noah Syndergaard, which is always good. Uh, albeit, you know, with a sinker, which is not generally as good as a four seam. Uh, his sinker velocity eventually came back to earth after, came back down to earth after that. Um, but that might've been injury related so maybe uh maybe his velocity wouldn't have uh dipped if um he wasn't basically what i'm saying is maybe it was explanatory or explained um his injury maybe his velo was just a precursor to him getting injured i don't know i don't need to spend a ton of time talking about him but um i like graveman he's He's someone who's pretty unexceptional and doesn't get a lot of strikeouts, but he gets a ton of ground balls, and so, of course, the Mariners like him. Um, and he throws pretty hard. Um, his secondaries aren't awesome, but I think he's someone who 
kind of just like Mike Leake, like they just they just do it. Um, he doesn't have that command, but um, he might be someone who can just put up a league average ERA every year, which I would take. Um, lastly, the Mariners claimed Nick <laughs> Marjavicious. Uh, there are so many ways I've heard his name um, pronounced, one of which is like Margavicious. Um, I'm just going to go with one. I don't really know which one, but we'll see as I say his name next. Um, he's kind of uh, underwhelming, but he's definitely the Mariners type. Um, I comped him to Yusei Kikuchi with less Velo, which, uh, yeah, not great, but he (laughs) is kind of interesting. Um, rather than spending time on Marjavicious, uh, which is apparently how I'm going to pronounce it. I'll spend time on Justin Dunn because I think he should make the rotation over him if um, his command issues subside. Um, I actually like Dunn, and I like him a lot more than I like... Maybe not a lot more, but I like him more than I like Justin Sheffield because um, Dunn actually has a good fastball. He had a short cup of coffee um, in 2019... And it didn't look great, but he also looked, especially in his first couple outings, he looked incredibly nervous and his command was just all over the place. Um, so the reasons why I like him and why I like him more than Justice Sheffield are that his fastball has good velo um, and it has a great active spin rate, which, as I said, means that often you can throw it at the top of the zone more and you're going to get more whiffs. Um, and so I don't know how often he does it. He wasn't doing it a ton in 2019, but he can throw it up in the zone. And while he has fastball issue or fastball command issues like Sheffield, um, I'm kind of optimistic that he can overcome them. So, um, there are other people who don't think that he will, Um, I think Baseball America basically thinks he's going to end up in the bullpen. But he has a great slider that he commands well and a changeup that is said to flash plus. So with a good fastball that he throws up in the zone, a good slider that he buries, and a good changeup, that's a recipe for a good pitcher. Um, And so with three solid offerings, I say inject that in my veins. Um, So with that... You have braved through about uh, two-thirds of the Mariners roster with me. Um, We're coming to about an hour, so we're going to stop here. But I want to thank everybody for listening. Um, I'm kind of just going off the cuff here. Um, I'm obviously really dehydrated because my voice is really hoarse and I'm really hungry. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I want to thank you for listening and, and want to... Uh, encourage you to support me via Patreon. Um, I guarantee the next uh, uh, episodes will be better because, uh, first of all, I won't be doing this at 10 p.m., but also I hope to have um, a co-host who can kind of set things up for me and I'll just talk about them because I will admit I'm not the best host. Um you can find me at Patreon at patreon.com slash Griffey's Naptime Pod. Um, there's no pressure to contribute, but any contributions are welcome and they're incredibly helpful because I actually um, pay to um, have my podcasts hosted. So you can find me at Twitter at Mikey Ajetto, PL. Uh, And lastly, I want to say that the song that you heard during the intro was called Circle of Inaction by Kevin Boyce. Uh, And you can find that on Spotify on Kevin's album, Kevin Boyce's album, that is, uh, called Something for Everyone. Um, I want to thank you guys again for listening, and I hope you tune in again. Bye!